Pastor Xavier Reese says Jesus surrendered in the Garden of Gethsemane by reaching out. Jesus heard his name called out. When Jesus says, I am he, Jesus gave evidence of his being God. He says, I am he, and they fell to the ground. They were to know that he was willfully submitting himself. They were to think and make their decision about who he said he was. He's always with his arms stretched out, but man rejects. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Jesus standing in a garden before Judas the betrayer, 600 soldiers and religious officers, gave up more than just himself. He gave up his very life. And as Pastor Xavier describes the ambush that fateful night, he explains how Jesus also showed them clear evidence that he was a God reaching out in love, even to his enemies. Let's join Pastor Xavier for today's Simple Truth. The betrayal of Jesus is described by three things. The first of which is the place of the betrayal in verse 1 and 2. Notice first in verse 1 that the place of betrayal was via the brook Kidron. The brook is located east of the city of Jerusalem, directly outside the east gate of the temple, as one descends into the valley at the foot of Mount of Olives. David crossed this brook barefooted and weeping when he was fleeing from Absalom's usurping of the kingdom. Now, it's significant in that David is a type of Christ. David was betrayed by his close friend Ahithophel, which is a prophetic type of Judas in Psalm 41, I believe. And it's very significant that David, a type of Christ, walked over the brook barefooted, weeping as he was betrayed. And now Jesus, the Son of God, is walking over the Kidron to be betrayed by one of his disciples. It is said that there was a canal that led from the temple down to the Kidron where the blood of the sacrifices drained down. If so... Well, how prophetic it is that Jesus now is walking across the Kidron and he sees some of the stained earth by the blood and he himself will be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world in just but hours. How prophetic. Notice verse 2, that the place of betrayal was a well-known garden. The garden is not named by John, but the other gospels tell us that it was called Gethsemane, which means olive press. The fall of man took place in the garden called Eden in Genesis chapter 3. I don't know if you ever thought about this. It was a betrayal by Adam of God, for he sold out for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It is the same way with each of us. We betray the Lord every time we choose not to obey to an extent, because we have the ability to obey. For the scriptures are clear that tells us that he will never allow us to be tested more than we're able, but with every testing shows a way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The redemption of man also took place in the garden. Not only the fall, but the redemption. The victory of the cross was in the garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Never think the victory was at the cross as a final thing. The victory was in the garden. The cross just manifested the victory. The victory over sin 
was evident as Jesus rose from the dead in the garden tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Victory over death. Death entered in through sin in the garden. Then life entered in through death and the judgment of sin in a garden. The excuse that it was Adam's fault and why should you pay for his failure is no longer valid. For you have to choose for yourself as to which garden you want to identify yourself with. The one in Genesis or the one in Jerusalem? It's your choice. The ultimate garden is mentioned in the eternal kingdom of God as we see a river on each side of the river, uh, a tree of life, which bears 12 manner of fruit for the healing of the nations in Revelations 22 too. No more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be there, and the servants shall serve him. Revelation 22, 3. The ultimate end. Interesting. Genesis looks towards Revelation. Revelation looks back towards Genesis. And all these things happen in the garden. This was the place of the betrayal, the garden of Gethsemane. Now, John next describes the betrayal by the people at the betrayal, verse 3 through 6. Notice first in verse 3, the betrayer Judas led the crowd. Notice secondly, we have the detachment of truths representing the authority of Rome. The word for detachment means a tenth of a legion, about 600 men. Now, let's get the scenario. Jesus has been agitating the religious leaders of the day. They are in cahoots and they have power with the government. And they need to remove him. They have been plotting to kill Jesus from the very beginning. They don't like him. He's gone in and turned over their tables twice. He has rebuked them, embarrassed them, exposed them. They need to get rid of him. They're keyed up. They thought they were in control. But here, the Lord Jesus is in control of the situation. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Now get the scenario. The cohort must have been astonished at the actions of Jesus to walk out towards the entry of the garden for they without doubt were expecting a hardened and violent criminal in view of the amount and kind of people that Judas had received to arrest Jesus. Now, Jesus heard his name called out. Whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. He was greeted by Judas with a repeated kiss as a sign to point out Jesus to the soldiers. To which Jesus told Judas, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? You get that in Mark 14, Luke 22, and Matthew 26. Jesus responds, I am. There is no he in the text. It's inserted so you understand it. This was a definite statement of his being God, his deity. It goes back to Exodus 3, 13, and 14. As God told Moses, I am that I am. I am that I am in the Hebrew is the becoming one. It's a verb form. Jesus will be to you whatever you allow him to be. Jesus says, I will be all that you allow me to be, but I can be nothing more than you let me be. 
He will be your counselor. He will be your wisdom. He will be your guide. He will be your shepherd. He will be whatever you and I allow him to be. But when we put limitations, he will not go beyond those limitations. He's a perfect gentleman. So, as the psalmist says, we limit the Lord. Not the Lord on our behalf. Now, the Apostle John, writing 50-some years later, tells us that Judas was standing with the crowd, and he certainly knew Jesus was God. When Jesus says, I am he, you know Judas said, that's right. Jesus gave evidence of his being God. He not only said it, but he gives evidence. What does he do? He says, I am he, and they were, and they fell to the ground. Now, they were to know that Jesus was not being taken by force. Okay? He's in control. They were to know that they were not in control, but that he was. They were to know that he was willfully submitting himself and giving up his life. He already told him in John 10, no one takes my life. I have both power to lay it down and take it up again. No one took him. They were to think about what they were experiencing and make their decision about who he said he was. When you say, I'm seeking Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am, and you were, and you're to the ground, it would cause you to kind of think, who is this? It's another opportunity that God reaches out to the non-believer. God will take everything to give man a position of decision. He's always with his arms stretched out, even as to Israel, all day long. But man rejects. Now, Judas Iscariots are always at work in the midst of God's people to get close to people and then betray them. The days are upon us that the ruling powers and authorities in our nation are taking a stance against Christianity and in fact are becoming antagonistic towards Christianity. We don't know what awaits us. So we take it a day at a time, a year at a time, and trust God for it. He alone knows. It's hard to believe that our government takes the stance that it does against the Bible and marriage and decency and morality. If they would have revealed this to us 20 years ago, we would, each of us would have laughed. If 20 years ago they would have told us that you would be able to preach the gospel in the schools in the Soviet Union, but not in the United States, you and I would have laughed. You would have called me a commie, and it's here. The company of religious liberals and heretics is at an all-time high in our generation, comparable to the departure of the faith in England towards the end of Charles Spurgeon's days. Heresy being taught from the pulpit this very morning. Thousands following, not even able to discern truth from error. Liberals saying there's mistakes in the scriptures. Teaching philosophy, psychology, sociology from the pulpit, 12-step programs. And calling it Christianity or Christian psychology. 
The Lord Jesus declared that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church and in fact that he would build his church in Matthew 16, 18 through 19. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 20. These are the people at the betrayal. They're still around today. Lastly, John describes the betrayal by the protector at the betrayal, verses 7 through 11. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Notice first in verse 7 and 8, Jesus protects his disciples from being arrested. He asked the crowd once more who it was they were seeking as they have been knocked down to the ground by his words. And they amazingly respond again, Jesus of Nazareth. I would have thought twice before I said that name again. Or at least remain on the floor. <laughs> he tells them that if he is the one they want, they are to let the disciples go their way. Jesus is in control. He tells them. John sees they're much more clear writing in around 90 AD, 50-some years later. He sees it clear as anything. I'm sure he didn't see it then. You know, when things happen and your blood's pumping and you're all, you know, and things happen real fast, you don't know. But once you're through the accident, you think back and you see different things. But when you're in the accident or whatever it is, you don't see many things. And he's writing by the anointing of the Spirit of God, and he has a perfect understanding as he looks back. Now, he was not asking for their permission, but in fact setting the program which was according to the prophecies of God. In verse 9, he told them he would lose none except Judas in chapter 6, verse 39, and chapter 17, verse 12 already. It's not a perdition. Notice secondly in verse 10 that Jesus protects Peter from his attack on the high priest's servant. Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the servant and cut off his right ear. Good old Peter. I like Peter, you know that? Because uh, I like to have people like Peter around ministry. You know why? Because they're willing to do anything. They're around. They're doers. Granted, they make mistakes, but let me tell you, they, they learn and they're doing, right? The offense was no small one in view of who this man was. Remember, Jesus was talking to them in the garden about, about purchasing a sword and everything, and Peter says, well, I have two here. He says, that's enough. Luke twenty two thirty eight. So apparently Peter had one of the two swords. You see what I mean, what I mean about Peter? <laughs> I mean, you can figure. There's 12 guys, 11 guys now in the garden. There's two swords. You know Peter's going to have one, right? <laughs> the love and devotion of Peter for Jesus that he had declared earlier in chapter 13, verse 37 was being manifested here. It was true and genuine. Now, in 1337, Jesus says he's leaving. Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. He says, oh, really? You will lay down your life? You will deny me three times. His love was genuine. He meant it. Here's the evidence. Peter's the only one. But he didn't have the power to do it. 
the Spirit of God had not been given to the churches of yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. There are times when your love is genuine, sincere towards God, but if you're not walking in the Spirit, then you can't fulfill. You cannot do. You're walking in your own flesh, your own might. And you will fail miserably every time. Peter saw the Lord touch the ear of Malchus and heal it. Luke twenty two fifty one tells us. What happened then? Jesus was removing the judgment that was to fall upon Peter. Oh, isn't that just like Jesus? Jesus has touched you. Jesus has touched me. And he has removed the judgment that should fall upon me because of the, th- the sin I did. Peter was free. Like nothing ever happened. I can imagine Malchus reads up there and see if it's on there or not. I wonder what these guys thought about Jesus as they walked them back to the house of Annas. I mean, you have to be pretty hard to just, ah, no, you have to go, wow, this guy in here, he spoke, he knocked us down, he put the guys here. Oh, man, who the heck is this guy? Notice thirdly, Jesus protects Peter from being killed by the soldiers. He tells Peter to put away his sword. The reason is given to us in Matthew. For all who take the sword die by the sword. Matthew 26, 52. Jesus is saying, Peter, listen. Look at all these soldiers. You're a fisherman. You try to get his head and you only got an ear. Put it away. You're no match for them. The Lord protects Peter. I think he tells us that many times. <laughs> Here we are, we think we're this, we're that, and, and, and the Lord says, you're just a sinner. What are you doing? Jesus protects Peter from trying to help God out. Oh, Shall I not drink the cup of my Father has given me? Oh. The agony and death on the cross for the sins of the world was to be borne by Jesus. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteous of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The substitute for every person was in the person of Christ. 1 John 2.2 He became the propitiation for our sins and not for ours alone but for the whole world. Shall I not drink of this cup? He had already heard him pray to the Father, not my will be done, but your be done. Lord, if there's any way, Paul, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. But here's Peter, hacking away. Matthew tells us that Jesus at this point asked Peter, or do you not think that I can now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels, a legion of 6,000, 72,000, Matthew 26, 53. Peter, Jesus is saying, Peter, listen, do you think I'm helpless? Do you think that there was a local earthquake just where they were standing? I mean, what's the problem? Jesus wanted Peter to not 
feel responsible for what was happening. Oh, what guilt can make us do? Guilt can cause us to act in places we have no business to act on. Peter, you have nothing to do with this. You're not responsible for this. It's not your responsibility to defend God. You know, God has taken care of himself for thousands of years before you came along. Jesus wanted Peter to know that helping God can really mess things up. We really can. One person was taken home to the Lord, and he had many questions for God when he got up there. He says, you know, Lord, um, I went through life, many difficult things, and um, I just don't understand some of those things. So he was taken and shown his life, and there were footprints and that, and, and there was two set of footprints in the easy places and the smooth places, and, and then in the difficult places, there was only one set of footprints. And he says, see, Lord, there, that's what I'm talking about. Look at right there where I needed your help, where were you? He says, well, you see the two set of footprints in the easy places? I walked alongside you. I fellowship with you. I was next to you. But you see the places where there's one set of footprints? Those are the difficult parts. You couldn't handle it, so I carried you. You see, that's about the size of it. We don't understand, but we got to help God out, don't we? Jesus always has our protection in mind with an expected end. We just don't always see how it can be in view of the circumstances, Jeremiah 29, 11. So we can eat the rest. Don't get in God's way. Jesus so often bails us out of things that we get into having no business in them. Every one of you can go into your life right now and you know there's areas you got into you had no business there and by God's grace, he bailed you out in time. By God's grace. Others of you, he let you reap the consequences. Why one, not the other? I don't know. Some are reconciled to their marriage. Others are not. Others are released from some judgment in court, and they're merciful, and they get six months rather than six years. Others get the six years. Why the difference? I don't know. Jesus at times keeps individuals from death. The circumstances are depicted, and they're so incredible that I mean, the accident, whatever it is, that you know it was God. And then others die in a very minor accident. Why? I don't know. He's in control. The chances of some survival in an accident or shooting or something is so miraculous that you know it was God. And then others don't survive. Why? I don't know. God does. Jesus warns us throughout the scriptures about the cost of helping God even as Abraham and Sarah tried to help God out, and they had themselves an Ishmael. I sure hope to God you don't have to live with many Ishmaels in your life because they really cost you. Don't try to figure God out and help Him. Trust and obey. And He'll do His part, whatever He wants. And it'll all work out. Jesus was the protector at the betrayal. Is that ironic? <laughs> and so, in looking at the betrayal of Jesus, we see it described by these three things. The place of the betrayal, Gethsemane. The people of the betrayal, Judas, the cohort, and the religious 
representatives. And the protector of the betrayal, Jesus, the shepherd of the sheep. Pastor Xavier Reese, summarizing once more the simple truths drawn from the passage of Jesus' betrayal from John chapter 19. Now, you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again, anytime, by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is Betrayed by a Friend. And, by the way, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So when you contact us, mention today's date or the title once again, Betrayed by a Friend, and we'll get that right out to you. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, let us know the call letters of the station you hear us on. This is information that helps us determine where our program is being an effective ministry. So thank you for helping us in this way. Next time, Pastor Xavier describes Jesus' final moments on earth to explain his final acts of love. That's on the next Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com